0: Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. If you've been searching for all the secrets out there in the universe, finally, you've stumbled upon the answers. This is the right place. Uh, My name's Dan. Thank you for finding us, for streaming, for downloading, for listening. This week, in the greatest show in the history of the galaxy, Uh, we'll look at a small creature that can cause a lot of pain. Also, you can hear about a wild world record... And I've got your questions, as always. This week, they're on freckles, on flames, and on fights. First, we've got a special guest, too. First, uh, let's catch up with one of our favourite geniuses here on the show. This is Professor Halleck.
1: Professor Halleck Builds a Body is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Welcome Trust.
2: Hello again, biology buffs. I'm Nurse Nanobot, and it's time to join Professor Hallocks again in his laboratory. Well, he calls it a laboratory. It looks like someone's driven an ice cream van into a perfume shop. What a mess! There are bats and vats of gloopy stuff, piles of flasks and beakers, and lots of very strange smelling steam. Aimbox Professor Halux is attempting to build his very own human body, full of all those gory but very important bits. Let's find out what he is up to today.
1: Hi there and welcome back to my lab. Sorry about the mess and the smell. Phew. All in a good cause though, I'm building a body and today we're making the muscles. Those springy stringy bits that hold everything together. But they do a lot more than that though. You tell them, Nurse Nanobot, while I get those tendons out of the oven. I think they're done. The Phenomenal facts.
2: There are over 600 muscles in the body. They do everything from pumping blood to helping lift heavy things. Muscles are made from stretchy cells and fibres, which make them very versatile. There are three main sorts of muscles. Isn't that right, Professor.
1: Absolutely totally! I have three vats of muscles over in the corner. This medium-sized one contains smooth muscle, this smaller one contains cardiac muscle, while this very large, and dare I say it slightly overflowing, vat contains skeletal muscles. Give them the lowdown, nurse! Smooth muscle is
2: sometimes known as involuntary muscle. Can you guess why? That's right. We have no control over this type of muscle. Our brains tell these muscles what to do without us having to think about it. We use smooth muscle in our stomach and digestive system, where through contracting and relaxing, they move food on its journey through the body.
1: They're also handy if you're sick and need to throw up. Yuck! On a more positive note, I can also use smooth muscle in the eyes. The coloured bit of your eye, called the iris, is made of a smooth muscle which lets your pupils... That's the black hole in the middle... Get bigger or smaller to control the light getting in.
2: Now, for the heart, the professor will need to use some cardiac muscle, the second sort of muscle. This thick muscle makes the heart contract to pump blood around the body and then relax to let it back in. Just like smooth muscle, cardiac muscle works all by itself without a thought from you. And over the average lifespan, the human heart will beat over two and a half Billion times.
1: Great, isn't it? Bodies are brilliant at doing stuff by themselves. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't help them. Get yourself off the chair and take lots of exercise to help give your heart a workout and make those muscles super strong. (coughs) Ah, I see that you've already found the purpose of our third type of muscles. Skeletal muscles. These are the ones that you would think of when we say muscle. The ones that show how strong you are and let you kick a football into the goal. These are the muscles that we control. Unless you want to, your leg won't bend to kick a ball or your arm to pinch yourself. Ouch! Now, to attach lots of muscles to them bones. Muscles are
2: held to the bones with the help of tendons, cords of tough tissues that are attached so well that when you contract one of your muscles, the tendon and bone move along with it.
1: Horrible old anatomy fact.
2: Muscles might not sound as tough as bones, but they can be preserved for hundreds of years. Egyptian mummies from 5,000 years ago were embalmed with their hearts inside and scientists are able to study them even today to see if their owners
1: died of heart attacks That's right! And some bodies found in peat bogs in Europe are even older! The oldest found to date is around 8,000 years old and has its soft tissues preserved although the bones have long since dissolved away making a very wobbly floppy person disgusting
3: detail
2: if you want to see one of your very own muscles, just stick out your tongue your tongue is a long super flexible muscle and it's the only one in your body that's only attached at one end the other end pokes out and moves about so you can talk and eat
1: yuck, odd to think that your tongue's a muscle and talking of your face you may not even think of it as a muscular body part your face has plenty of muscles. You can check them out next time you look in the mirror. Muscles in the face are attached to facial bones at one end, and the skin of your face at the other. This allows you to contract your facial muscles just a tiny bit and make dozens of different kinds of faces. From the smallest movement can turn a smile into a frown. You can raise your eyebrow to look surprised, or wiggle your nose. Oh. Right, now these muscles are just about ready, so let's zap it together and let's let the lightning loose! Brilliant! It's worked! My body has a wonderful collection of smooth, cardiac and skeletal muscles. Hee-hee! Looks a bit chilly, though. You'll be needing a covering of skin next. Next! Next time, I'll be covering up these muscles and bones with waves of skin. Hope you can join me and Nurse Nanobot then. (laughs) Bye for now. You can find out more about the Professor and his body
2: at the Fun Kids website, funkidslive.com.
1: Professor Hullock's builds a Body is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Welcome Trust.
0: Let's get to your questions then. Remember, if you've got something science-y that you want answered on the show, you need to leave it as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. When you log on, when you find the Fun Kids Science Weekly on there, uh, there's a few things you need to do. Leave your name so I know who to say hello to. Leave us five stars. That will really help me see it. There's a little comment box at the bottom. That is where you leave your question and get in touch. Uh, Firstly, Marley is on. Marley, you've been on the show quite a few times recently, but... This is a very good question, so I thought I'd let you. I'd, I'd let you sneak you on once more. Uh, Marley wants to know why do we have freckles? Now, the colour of your skin, the different types of colour that you have, they're determined by pigments. Now, freckles are when you have extra patches of pigments that kind of group together under your skin and you really only have them because of the genes that you've been born with. So if someone in your family mum or dad, grandma, granddad, something like that if they've got freckles it's more likely that you'll have them too. Now they often show up During childhood, uh, you'll get them when you're into your 20s as well. And if you've got fair skin or red hair, uh, like I do, fair skin, uh, you're more likely to get freckles as well there. Marley, thank you so much for the question and for leaving us so many reviews. You've done a brilliant job. Uh, This one is from Valentine, who's in Camberwell, who wants to know why flames are blue near the bottom. I've often wondered this myself, the different colours in flames, when you think it's really just a gas... That's what really blows my mind. Now, the way flames work is kind of like humans, really. They breathe in oxygen. And candle flames are blue at the bottom because that's where they take in that fresh air. That's kind of their mouth that helps them breathe it in. Then it's yellow at the top because the rising fumes when the wick gets burnt uh, they suffocate the upper part of the flame which means they're turned yellow so they need more fresh oxygen they take it in and it turns the bottom blue it's this big old breathing cycle of the flame uh, thank you for that valentine lastly this is from imogen uh, who wants to know how do antibiotics kill germs uh, just very quickly we need to remind ourselves that antibiotics are different from vaccines A vaccine gives you a small dose of something like the illness, uh, maybe a bug like the flu that's going around, and it lets your body know what it is. It gets you prepared. It gets your immune system ready to fight just in case you get infected. Now, antibiotics work in a few different ways. They might kill bacteria. Quite often, they just disable them. They slow down their multiplication. That's how bacteria spread in your body. Uh, A little germ gets in and it spreads, it spreads, it doubles, it trebles, it quadruples. Antibiotics slow down that rate of of growth, which gives your immune system more time to get healthy and clear the infection. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Imogen. If you've got something for the Science Weekly next week, you can leave it as a review over on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, this week, we're going to try and answer one of like the most obvious but strange questions ever. It's probably one that you've always wondered, but have never really sat down and thought about, because it just seems like, well, that's what should happen. But why does it happen? Why does music make you dance? Thomas Matthews is from the Center for Music in the Brain. It's in Denmark, and he joins us now. Thomas, hello. Hello. Uh, so why does music make you dance? That's what we're here to to try and explore what what made you ask that question in the first place
3: right so it's kind of an obvious question for me because I grew up uh, playing piano and then discovered playing drums which is of course the funnest instrument um, and so when I eventually got into university I, I got into psycholo- psychology and and uh, neuroscience and discovered there's this whole field of uh, neuroscience and music and then of course I, I just wanted to combine my two passions of, of rhythm music and, and neuroscience
0: so where did you start um, it's a really tough thing to figure out how how do you begin to work out the link between music and movement
3: right so One thing that's been studied more and more lately is is beat perception. So, this idea that when we hear a rhythm, we often feel this sense of a beat or an underlying pulse, you know, the the thing that we tap our foot to or we bob our head to. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily completely there just in the rhythm, because you can have notes that don't actually fall on this beat. Um, but you still feel that beat and you can still tap along. So it's sort of this mysterious thing. And so I started out sort of investigating that. And, of course, other people are, are have uh, looked into that and are still looking into it. It's still a bit mysterious. So that's where uh, I think a lot of people think to start because it's this fundamental aspect to rhythm uh, that we all feel.
0: And And how did you look into that, Thomas? What are you... Searching for what tests are you doing? What parts of the brain are you studying? What's going on?
3: Yeah, so uh, taking mostly a neuroscientific or neuroimaging approach, but also some behavioral studies. So, some common ways to look at this is to use fMRI. So, you put people in an MRI scanner and then you play them some rhythms of different levels of uh, complexity or degrees to which they feel a beat. And then the scanner can track, you know, the blood flow in their brain while they they listen to these rhythms. And the the areas that seem important um, are related to the motor system. So you have sort of these, uh, you know, these areas that control our movements and control the timing of our movements and control the sequencing of our movements uh, and when to move, when not to move. And these seem to, to light up. Uh, when you're listening to rhythms that have this strong sense of beat. And even when you're not moving, you're not planning to move. Uh, so just passively lying there in the scanner, uh, these motor areas will line up. So these are, are seem to be what are fundamental to this, this sense of beat.
0: And why do you think that is? Why, when we hear a beat, if, is the part of our brain that controls how we move, why is that flaring up?
3: So that's still a, a question that is actively being actively investigated. One, I think, promising theory is that, uh, you know, move, moving is really something that happens in time and has to be really accurate in time. And so and there's this whole aspect of prediction that is sort of fundamental to movement and, you know, a lot of things in our interactions with the environment. So, for example, you know, playing sports, we have to predict when the ball is coming to us. Uh, we have to act in a way that anticipates and of course uh, music and moving to music whether it be dancing or or playing along you know playing an instrument in a band you have to sort of anticipate and in order to synchronize uh, with the music and with everyone else so there's this predictive sort of anticipatory thing that seems to be fundamental to the to the motor system so they uh, the idea is maybe that the motor system is actually doing this prediction in time that we we rely on, even when we're just listening to music.
0: So much of the way that we behave today in 2021 harks back to how our ancestors behaved where, way back when they were cave people. How much of a thought is that this might be linked in some way, maybe the idea of that we need to move when we hear a bee goes back to something our ancestors were doing, I don't know, when they heard the footsteps of a tiger outside and they had to suddenly leg it. Is, is there at all a sort of thought there?
3: Yeah, so one interesting thing is that one, part of this motor system that seems to be active during, uh, you know, when you're listening to a strong beat is this, this set of nuclei in the brain called the basal ganglia. And they're really sort of evolutionarily very old set of uh, regions in the brain. So they go back, you know, to to our ancestors. And so that sort of links to this this idea of being sort of a fundamental aspect. And of course, people have looked at other animals. You know, there's uh, Snowball, the cockatoo, that is quite good at synchronizing and different, uh, yeah, even a, a seal, I think. So trying to link it <clears throat> to these evolutionarily evolutionary origins of, of the beat. One other aspect I'd like, I, I think is interesting, is that when we move, it's often rhythmic and it has this sort of pulse to it, right? When we walk, we, we, we walk rhythmically, we move our arms rhythmically, we, we sway our hips rhythmically. And it turns out that this is around the same frequency, the same rate that most music uh, is, and especially music that we like and like to move to falls in the same rate the same frequency range as as the the rate at which we tend to move so i think there's a fundamental link there to what how we move and how we produce music and what we like to listen to and it's sort of this feedback loop it seems
0: how much of what you found out explains why some people are terrible at dancing and others are brilliant
3: yeah, so there's there's some friends actually have looked into these people who you know have had <clears throat> they've given different names, but I think one is like beat deaf. So you have you know pitch deaf people. So they think there's maybe beat beat deaf people who can't really synchronize, and that's it's still not clear. It doesn't seem to relate to other aspects, and they can often move synchronize their movements to uh, you know just a metronome. But when it comes to music, there's something about the sort of complex sort of hierarchy of the patterns in music that they can't pull out the beat. So I think that's still still an open question.
0: What about other sensations, Thomas, that music makes us feel? Sometimes when some people hear a song, they just feel overwhelming joy. Other times music might bring you to tears. What have your studies shown about different emotions that uh, a groove can make us feel
3: yeah so you know of course the the rhythmic aspect can make us want to move and that might feel good but it's not gonna you know feel like it's not probably not gonna a drum beat alone is not going to bring us to tears so yeah one study I combined or a couple studies actually where I use chords so you know using harmony where you have multiple notes playing at once and of course that has a very Emotive effect in music. So even just a single chord can make us feel tense or, or you know, relaxed. And then if you start sequencing chords together, you can have all these sort of complex emotions like nostalgia and you know, a sense of for- foreboding and all this sort of thing. So uh, when you combine, of course, uh, the rhythm with these these chords, uh, you know, harmony and also potentially melody. Uh, then you sort of everything sort of interacts so I showed that uh, people like these these certain medium complexity rhythms that aren't too complex aren't too simple they especially like them when they're combined with chords that are aren't too complex and aren't too simple so it shows that uh, yeah melody or, or, or harmony and rhythm sort of work together uh, in in this context
0: uh, that's just so, like We could spend an absolute age talking about this. There's so much to break through. Uh, Thomas Matthews, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and helping explore it with us.
3: No problem. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Now, this week's Dangerous Dan is all about something small that can cause you a lot of pain. I mean, just listen to its name. It's called the Blister Beetle. Uh, it's found all over the world, and there are lots of different types of species of the blister beetle. Uh, over two thousand five hundred different types of it, in fact. They can range in colour from quite a dark blacky brown. Normally, when they grow up, though, they're covered in greeny blue wings with dark blots or stripes on there. Now, here we go. Can you guess what the blister beetle does to you? Brilliant work. Fifty points for Gryffindor. You got it. Now, weirdly enough, they don't bite. They don't sting. But they make a chemical called cantharidin. Now, they use it to protect themselves, and it's highly toxic to the beetles' enemies. But to us humans, though, it can give you blisters. Just in case you didn't get that. It gives you awful, itchy, scratchy blisters. Now, back in the day, uh, way back, when medicine was a bit more, hmm, wild, where they would use a lot more herbs and spices to try and make you feel better, people would use blister beetle juice... In love potions, we had Gryffindor earlier on. That's like something else from Harry Potter, isn't it? Uh, there you go. The blister beetle can make you red and burning all over with your skin, causes horrible blisters, and that means it needs to go on our dangerous Dan list. We'll have a look at the science that's been in your news this week. Right now, we're catching up with one of our favourite gadget gurus. It's Techno Mum.
2: Techno Mum, engineering explorers. Typical.
4: Trying out my new electric scooter and I've come off and grazed my knee. Looks like my trousers are ruined too. Why can't someone invent super strong skin? That way we wouldn't get painful grazes like this one. Hold still. I can't get the
5: plaster on if you keep flinching.
4: Ouch! Skin is rubbish. I wasn't even going that fast and I've got a massive cut and a bruise now. Hush. Skin's really amazing stuff.
5: It does a great job at keeping the bits inside our bodies well inside. It also helps keep them at the right temperature.
4: Come on, Mum. Even you know there's always room for improvement. Ouch. This knee would definitely be improved by being healed up instantly with, say, a special instant skin replacement cream.
5: I don't think instant skin replacement cream has been invented yet, but there are people who use engineering to help us stay in good health. They're called biomedical engineers.
4: Biomedical engineers? What's that all about?
5: Well, biomedical engineers might be inventing new products such as replacement joints or surgical instruments. Or they might be trialing super tough metals or mega flexible polymers to help keep joints moving for longer.
4: Hey, that'd be cool. You could have Gran doing the high jump at Gran Olympics. I'm not sure she'd like that.
5: Other biomedical engineers might be adapting equipment that's already in use to help people who can't easily move their bodies to communicate, or even write and paint, by using sensors and computers which translate the movement of their eyes. That's pretty cool. It's not just cool, it can be life-changing stuff. Now let's not forget the really futuristic stuff. You've heard of nanotechnology, right?
4: That's like the science
5: done on a really tiny scale building things at the molecular level. Yep, well there's plenty of biomedical engineering which gets down to the cellular level, creating treatments and medicines which work within the cells of our body, say to deliver drugs to the exact place where they're needed. Biomedical engineers might be working with materials like metals and plastics in a workshop, or using IT and computers in an office and coming up with a brand new creation in a laboratory. Check out this video. It shows some really exciting stuff that's being done with skin.
4: Magic Skin Replacement Spray? Ooh, No! Looks like a test tube. Where's the human body? There's no body. The engineer is working on a sample
5: of human skin. It's that white substance in the dish. Whose is it? She should give it back. This skin wasn't taken off anyone's body. But it did come from some human cells, stem cells. Some biomedical engineers are working to create pieces of skin in the laboratory, which can be used to help people with injuries such as burns.
4: I could use a bit of that. Help my grace to heal up.
5: I think you'll survive with a plaster. Cool job, though. There are loads of cool jobs for engineers. Almost as many jobs as there are inventions.
4: That's great. Hey, maybe someone can invent trousers that never split.
1: Engineering Explorers, created with support from the Institution of Engineering and Technology to celebrate the year of engineering. Yeah. Find out more at slash technomum.
0: It's time for this week's Science in the News. Four amateur astronauts have blasted off from Florida on their SpaceX mission. SpaceX, this is Elon Musk, if you've heard of him. Now, the inspiration for crew, they're on the Dragon capsule. They'll spend the next three days circling the Earth. Uh, Now, that could be a sign for more regular paying people, like me and you, if we had a few more pounds, uh, to head into space as well. It's the start of something brand new. Also, Kew Gardens in the UK set a new world record for the largest living plant collection. They've got 16,900 unique plant species. It's the most diverse collection of plants anywhere, and they've been building it since 1759 when it opened. And finally, uh, the bandicoot has crashed back from the brink of extinction. Uh, it's back. It's a small furry marsupial in Australia. It looks like a mouse with stripes. You only really find it there. And after 30 years of efforts to keep it safe, the numbers have jumped from 150 to over 1,500. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for this listening. Uh, listening. If you've got something science-y that you want answered on the show next week, you can leave it as a review for us over on Apple Podcasts. Find us on there. Shout your name so I know who to say hello to. Give us five stars. That'll really help me see it. And it's a very nice thing to do. Leave your comment, leave your question in the comment box and I'll see that. And hopefully I'll ask it for you. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it's one of the best places that you can hear loads of our shows here at Fun Kids. We've got more for you on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. And Fun Kids are a children's radio station from the UK. You can listen to us all over the country on your DAB digital radio and over at funkidslive.com.